Yeah. So, uh, hey everyone for, oh man, you know, this is kind of embarrassing. I say this every time, but I'm kind of short. So I was at the lower this, like Eric and Keith are both a lot taller than me. Um, and pretty much every kid that's ever been in a small group with me has also gotten taller than me at some point. So, um, I have to make these shorter, but it's good to see you all today. Um, like Keith had mentioned, I'm one of the advisors here. Uh, some of you guys have the, uh, either pleasure or displeasure of, having me as one of your youth advisors alongside Kevin. So go Kevin. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, uh, I think just to quickly start, I think Keith had mentioned it before, but I, I maybe just want to kind of say it's, it really is good to see all of you out here today. Um, it's really, really good to see um, you, for those of you who are able to make it out tonight in person for this evening in particular, because of the fact that this is, like he said, Lord willing, one of the last times that we'll be having in-person um, outdoor uh, junior high service together or junior high group. Um, and there's a lot of things that you're probably thinking right now. You're probably thinking it's super cold. And why is this guy talking about this right now when I'm freezing, which is also true. But uh, one of the other things I think that's also um, really something to think about is just how good God has been through this season. I know there's a lot of things that are kind of coming along with that with online school, zoom all the time. And that includes youth group. Um, and, Honestly, um, there are a lot of hard things that come along with that. Uh, but I think God has also shown time after time how he has been really faithful to this group and to all of us in so many different ways. And I even think being able to meet outdoors in this capacity has been one of those ways. Like I remember the first time that we got to meet out in person and seeing all of you like for the first time in a long time was like such a, such a, a joy to me um, and, and such a grace. And I, I really hope for all of you guys, as you think about just this time, this unique season, um, through all the difficulties and through all the just the unique challenges that came up with it, I do hope you, re you remember the, the blessings, I think, as well, too, and, and this being one of them, um, one of the joys of just being reminded of how good it is to be able to see each other and to be with each other, because uh, that certainly has been a huge blessing for me. Uh, but with that, let's um, open our time in a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll uh, take off from there. Father, thank you for uh, this evening again. Thank you for every evening you give us to meet together in this capacity. God, for those of us in person, for those of us online, I pray that you would be with us, God, as we come before your word. Help us to be humble. God, help us to, um, to want to grow, God, to want to know Christ better um, in what we have to go through today. Um, and I pray that you would just be with us, God, that again, that it would be a blessing, that we would be grateful for this time, um, and that you would be over it. So God, thank you uh, so much for everyone here. Thank you for this time that we have all together. I pray in your son's name. Amen. All right. So if you've been with us for any amount of time, sometime at least even over the past few months or so, you'll know that we've been going through a book of the Bible called Mark. It's following Jesus' ministry as he's moving throughout Israel. Um, and if you can, please, if you have your Bibles open um, or if you're online, uh, if you could take your Bibles out and as well as your notes, which you guys all should have a copy of. Um, I'll also say to you, for those of you on Zoom, um, there should be a link in the chat somewhere. If it's not there yet, if one of the leaders could please put it on there to access the notes on Dropbox. Uh, we're going to be looking, though, at Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. So if you can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. Starting in verse 24, it says this, And from there he, Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Seraphonician by birth, 
And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in the bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through this and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of God. So if you were able to join us for online youth group last week, um, you might remember that Keith talked about the Pharisees, right, in the passages that were just before this one that we just read together, and that the Pharisees, they're not really understanding exactly what it is that makes a person unclean. Uh, rather than being something external causing uncleanliness, we find that it's, it's really something on the inside. It's, it's people's hearts that make them unclean and dirty. And that is something that's important for us to keep in mind as we come to our passage tonight and to, uh, as we kind of go into our passage together to kind of help us sum some things up for ourselves here. Uh, the key idea, which should be on your notes, I think bolded for tonight is to know who God is, you must know your place before him. To know who God is, you must know your place before him. And I know it's not written there, but like a subtext that is a desperate sinner in need of grace. So to know who God is, you must know who your, your place is before him. That is a desperate sinner in need of grace. And help us break that down. Uh, we're going to be using, I'll, I'll be honest, a pretty simple outline that's really similar to the passage structure uh, to help us understand what that kind of looks like as we go through this together. Um, so we're first going to be talking about and thinking about the woman's faith, starting in verse 24, the woman's faith. So if you look at verse 24 again, you're going to notice that Jesus, again, is now in the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is a pretty big change from what we've read up, up in Mark so far. Um, up to this point, Jesus has been ministering primarily to Jewish regions. Um, unlike those Jewish regions, Tyre and Sidon were both occupied by Gentiles. And when we say Gentiles, we're referring to people who are not Jewish, okay? Gentiles, people who aren't Jewish. So right off the bat in verse 24, we see that Jesus is immediately approached by this Gentile woman whose little daughter has an unclean spirit, uh, a demon. And this woman, she's looking for help, right? It's pretty clear she's looking for help. And not only is she looking for help, like in a generic sense, uh, we get this sense that she is extremely desperate, right? She begins, uh, not, she begins to, uh, to beg Jesus to cast the demon away from her daughter. Uh, and you can kind of just get the sense of the worry that she has on her just by reading the text. So I'm going to level with you guys, okay? We, uh, if we've read the Bible in any capacity before, which I know, a few of us have here, uh, at least have grown up in the church and gone to Sunday school. Um, again, we've, we've read stories kind of like this before. We, we've seen, again, this type of story, right? We've seen this type of story before. And, and the familiar scene 
is kind of now set in our text. Uh, there's some kind of ailment or difficulty that someone in a crowd, maybe someone is experiencing. And then Jesus appears on the scene and then like just boom, like he takes care of it, right? And then that's the end of the story and we just move on to the next passage, right? Uh, well, not quite, actually. I'd like to draw our attention back to the passage, even though that is in some sense kind of what happened. There's kind of a key point that I want to call out here where Jesus responds to this woman pleading. And that's in verse 27. Here's what he says. He said here, let the children be fed first for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Okay. So when we pause for a moment, this is actually not the answer most of us are probably expecting Jesus to give. Jesus, just, just heal, heal the daughter, right? Just do the thing. No, but there are three comparisons or you know, a few comparisons here that Jesus is using in his reply that are actually really important for us to feel the weight of what he's actually saying. So we're just going to kind of quickly list them off. So there's points right there, but you can kind of fill in some extra stuff there. The first is the bread, right? Bread. So when he's talking about bread, he's talking about his message or his ministry focus. So bread meaning his message or his ministry. The second is children mentions children here, is referencing the Jews, the Jewish people, God's chosen people, Israel. And three, finally, dogs, right? Dogs, interesting. He's referring to dogs as Gentiles, Gentiles. And again, you guys know, as we just talked about, Gentiles are, is anyone who's not Jewish, right? Those who aren't Jews. So what Jesus is basically saying, then, if we kind of sum that all together with all those, you know, different kinds of uh, references is that his primary ministry focus is not this woman, it's not her daughter, and it's not any of the Gentiles. And that the focus of his ministry is to the Jews and to the people of Israel. And to push that point even further, he likens the Gentiles to dogs. Okay, now, now quick clarification. For some of you who have dogs at home, your dog might as well be regarded as like another child in the family because... Um, just based on like the treatment that your family gives it, right? Um, like we treat our dogs pretty well, I think in, in, in today's time. And, and while there were certainly house dogs at the time, Jesus, um, as, as Jesus is saying this, uh, dogs were generally not regarded um, as really that important at this time, okay? Dogs were not really regarded as that important. So, so it's kind of shocking then to see Jesus give this kind of response to the woman. Right? She's asking for help. And this is the response that he gives her. Really what Jesus is showing here is that in terms of his priorities, the woman, as well as all these other Gentiles, they were of the lowest priority at this time. And his ministry focus was clearly on the Jews. And yet, how does the woman respond? How does the woman respond? Verse 28, but she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So I personally do not own a dog, right? Um, my wife is, is allergic, so we can't own a dog, unfortunately. Um, but my parents have a dog, and we do love dogs. So we get to see dogs all the time. My parents have a dog at home. And uh, again, I get to see her all the time when I'm over there. And if you've ever had dogs, or even generally a lot of other animals, to be honest with you, pets, uh, dogs in particular, if you've ever had dogs around them or kind of ever had them in your family's uh, houses at all, you've probably seen this familiar picture of like <clears throat> you might be in a room or someone else might be in a room and they're eating. And as you're eating this like cute little furry thing kind of comes up with like these beady eyes and it's like looking at you. And then it looks at your food and it looks back at you and looks back at the food and looks back at you 
and just keeps going back and forth, right? Until you, it's like the standoff and you're just like, what are you doing, right? Like, what are you expecting me? Um, the idea is most dogs want food, right? Like most dogs are really interested in that food. I know for my, my parents' dog, that dog only loves me because I give it food. Um, dogs, they're not picky, right? Like dogs aren't picking these kinds of situations. They just want even like the tiniest morsel of any food that you can give them in that moment and they'll be pretty happy. And again, unless it's my parents' dog, she's really picky. She's gonna not be happy with just a little bit. She's gonna want more. But most dogs are just happy with anything. And this is what the woman in the passage is kind of likening herself to. She's not asking to be the primary focus of Jesus' ministry. She's saying that she is okay with anything, really. Even the smallest thing that Jesus can do for her and her daughter in that situation. She is very well aware that she is desperate, desperate. So why is that important to us at all? Why is that important for us to understand? It's because in this, we should be seeing some kind of picture of how our own interaction with God and with Jesus should be looking like. We must know our place of desperation and neediness before God if we are to know him. Again, if you remember last week's passage dealing with the Pharisees, the woman's approach to Jesus is completely different than the way that the Pharisees are approaching Jesus. Whereas the Pharisees seem unaware of who they are in relation to Jesus, the woman we read about is very much aware of who she is and who she is in relation to him. And that impacts how she approaches him. There's a few things that we can pull away from this that I'd like to take a closer look at. Again, there's some sub bullets in your notes. The first is desperate or desperation, desperation. When the woman approaches Jesus, she falls at his feet. She falls at his feet and she's begging him to help, right? And, and to be honest, like if we're looking at that, it's kind of it's not hard to see why she's desperate, right? Like her daughter is suffering. Her daughter is suffering due to this, this demon. So her, her problem is like really clearly serious. And it's really obvious. And, and while today, right, like us here today, we're not dealing with that same kind of issue. <clears throat> the reality is, though, is that each and every one of us is, in fact, in a similar position of desperation. Not the exact same situation, but we are in a similar position of desperation. We are all in a serious situation of sorts as it relates to our standing before God. All of us are desperate because of sin. There is not one person in this world who is not affected by sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not some, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. As we discussed last week, though each of our circumstances are definitely different, all of us are living different lives and different things going on. Some of us might deal with sin related to our siblings, maybe our friends at school, our parents, people we don't get along with at school, mixed variety of things, your own personal life. We are met with, <clears throat> excuse me, we are met with the conclusion that our own sin is our own sin, right? Our, our sin is our own sin. What defiles a person is not from the outside in external circumstances, but from within one's own heart. So not only is everyone affected by sin, everyone is affected by their own sin. <clears throat> Again, humanity's sinfulness places us in a desperate position, much like the woman begging Jesus to heal her daughter. And the difference, though, and the main pressing point for all of us 
is whether or not we actually see it as a desperate situation, whether or not you see it as desperate. You know, it, it's one thing to say that all of us in some way, shape or form, or all of humanity is sinful in a really broad sense. And it's another thing completely to recognize that you as an individual person, you as an individual person are sinful. When I say sinful, I'm talking about being at odds with God, being at odds with God. <clears throat> Our sinfulness leads us to resist his plans and his desires for us, telling him that we don't want to live the way that he had planned us to live and wants us to, but it's being <clears throat> at odds with the perfect judge himself, perfect judge himself, God, who made us to live in a perfect relationship with him, but we cast him aside. Again, the question is, do we see ourselves as desperate? And I think it's easy for most of us here to recognize that none of us is perfect, right? Like, I think none of us would say here that we are perfect. We got all things together. All of us in some way, in fact, are sinful. <clears throat> but maybe, um, maybe it's not so much that, but it's more that we think we're not as sinful or as bad as someone else that we know in comparison. And to be honest, that might be true. You might not be as, thank you. <clears throat> That might actually be true. Thank you. <clears throat> you might not be as bad as someone else you know or other people that you've seen on the news or heard about from your friends. But junior hires, I do want you to understand that the standard by which God judges is not relative to our peers. It's not horizontal. The standard by which he judges is by himself and his perfect nature. And if we were left to ourselves, we have, we have nothing that we can do to satisfy that standard. Um, one thing I think that was really helpful one time was actually Pastor Gavin, who strangely actually was here earlier today, uh, but Pastor Gavin once described it when I was in youth group a long time ago, as if like you, you asked, <clears throat> you were asked to go to the Redondo Beach Pier. So we all kind of live near the beach, you guys, and if you don't know where Redondo Beach is, but just imagine a pier near the ocean, asked to go to Redondo Beach Pier, face the Pacific Ocean, run as fast as you can towards that ocean, jump off the pier with the goal of landing somewhere in Japan, okay? Just run off the pier and try to jump as far as you can and try to land in Japan. The reality is like some of us, you know, like not me, like most of you guys would probably jump farther than others, right? I'd probably jump farther than Antonio, but just kidding. Um, <clears throat> Antonio would jump farther than me. Um, some of us might actually jump farther than others, right? But like at the end of the day, if your goal is to land in Japan, it doesn't matter if you get a little bit farther than someone else, right? In the grand scheme of things, we all fail miserably. You fail miserably. I fail miserably. None of us would, none of us would come even close to that goal of landing in Japan. So it is in the same way in our plight to do well enough to earn God's favor, to do good enough for God. How can we describe our position as anything but desperate? In that situation. Just as a quick kind of way to summarize that as a question, when you look at your life as the days and the weeks go by, do you see your sinfulness in the everyday life, in the weeks that go by? Do you see your sinfulness? And does that make you desperate? Does that make you desperate? Okay, the second is convicts, convinced, convinced. In, in addition to being desperate, 
This woman, we see, seems absolutely convinced that Jesus can, in fact, heal her daughter. And so she is being persistent, right? So even when Jesus mentions that his primary focus for, focus for his earthly ministry isn't for her, she goes along with it. And she still asks, and still asks um, that he heal her daughter. So when I say convinced, I'm not saying, or I'm saying that the woman believes that Jesus is, in fact, the answer to her problem. He is, in fact, the answer to the problem, and she will not find a solution anywhere else. If we ourselves are, in fact, in a desperate state, where does that leave us today? If we're desperate, where does that leave us? It means that we are doomed if we are left to ourselves. Doomed if we're left to ourselves. We have no hope in saving ourselves because we just we can't. How can we, as sinners, save ourselves? So what does that mean? It means we need to find something or someone better to save us instead. Now, I want to take some time to think about that for a little bit. Most of us will know the correct answer uh, to that question is, uh, what is able to save us from our sin is Jesus, right? Like, we've all known that, and we've learned that for many, many years now. God himself. But in practice, in practice, in reality, um, we can and often are tempted to think of potentially many other false saviors that we have that we tell ourselves can actually do the work of saving for us just as well as Jesus, if not better, is the temptation. We're sometimes convinced that our grades are going to be sufficient and that if we get good enough grades, that's going to get us in a good enough college, line us up for a good job, a good life. Uh, sometimes we believe that social status is going to be su sufficient, that if enough people like me or they just approve of me, then I'm going to have a good enough standing to get me through all of my time as a junior higher and into high school. Maybe it's athleticism or like in some kind of achievement, goal setting, right? Um, whatever the case might be, we all, must, uh, we all must be asking ourselves whether or not we are actually convinced ourselves that there is no other solution other than Christ. Because if we believe there is another solution to our biggest issues in life, we will undoubtedly run to those things when we experience difficulty, right? And yes, while it is true that these things may bring temporary satisfaction, it's almost kind of like drinking um, salt water from the ocean. If you've ever tried it, it's not great, right? Um, we think that maybe as we're drinking, it's going to be quenching our thirst, for thirsty. but in reality, all it's doing is it's making us even more thirsty, right? It's making us even more thirsty, constantly needing to go back to that same thing again and again and again. So real quick, when you look at your life, um, just kind of as a quick summary question, what is it that you place your greatest faith in? What is it that you place your greatest faith in? And thirdly, uh, we're speaking about humility or just being humble, humility, a, a low view of oneself. Perhaps what is most well known about this account, this particular passage we're reading is, uh, is the woman's humility and her understanding that she is in fact undeserving. She comes to God with a lowly heart. And how do we know this? When Jesus likens her request to that of one uh, of the lowest priorities, she isn't caught up in the idea that Jesus may not do what she's asking for. She acknowledges the truth that Jesus' ministry is not, in fact, primarily for her, and that she's okay with that. She's okay with that. She's okay with taking the scraps of anything that Jesus has to offer. And I don't think, actually, it's a coincidence that this account comes right after the account that we read last week about Jesus speaking with the Pharisees. You know, the, the Pharisees, again, they're the religious elite of the time. 
And if anyone knew the scriptures, it was these guys. It was them. And yet we are told that they were hypocrites. Hypocrites, consumed by their own pride, feeling that they deserve God's favor because of their own righteousness, which they didn't even have. Not even just with the Pharisees. Several times in the gospel, we read about the pride of even the disciples, Jesus' own closest followers, trying to decide amongst themselves who is worthy of God's favor more than the other. And yet, here's this account we're reading of a Gentile woman, someone not even part of God's chosen kingdom. The, you know, he's not even, not even part of the, of the Jews, displaying a, a humble faith that Jesus calls great. And living humbly is not an easy thing. Uh, for most of us, uh, it, it's likely a struggle with pride in some way, shape, or form. Um, oftentimes, we come to God with proud hearts when our prayers with him are more about getting things that we want in life. Uh, we set little expectations for ourselves that we will only follow um, God when certain conditions are actually met. Uh, for instance, when we get a good grade on our test, or maybe uh, we really hope we'll get a certain gift from our parents, uh, and we won't give honor to God unless we kind of have that thing or that thing ends up happening the way that we want it to. Yet in our prideful request, not once do we ask God to help us accept his will and to be trusting in him no matter the result. We make our faith conditional as if we deserved God's favor in the first place. You know, there, there's a major flaw in that line of thinking that's so easy for us to follow. It, it's, it's that... We only need to come to God for certain things, but not everything. Sure, sure, when things are hard in life, when I'm not getting the things I want, or maybe when I'm exhausted all of the options, then, and only then, I will come to God. And that mindset tells us that we can get ourselves even a small percentage of the way there, but then God can take, the, uh, take us the rest of the way. Junior hires the major flaw in that thinking is that in reality, we are nothing without God. We are nothing without God. And that encompasses every part of our lives, our education, our future jobs, our families, our homes, our homework, our video games, our phones, our TVs, our social media accounts, our free time, our busy time. All of it is only possible because of God and his undeserved grace toward us. Like this woman that we're reading about in Mark chapter 7, we bring nothing to the table when we approach God because we are nothing without him. You know, growing in humility is a, is a tall order. It's, it's difficult. Uh, and a brief encouragement for all of us here as far as how we can grow in, in humility specifically. God has actually presented us each with a lot of opportunities, actually, to live it out and to grow in it. Um, for some of us, growing in humility might start at the home with our parents, trusting that uh, maybe even when it's hard to see their concern for us as caring, sometimes we think of it as annoying or, or difficult, that we can trust them because we know that they do, in fact, love us. They do love us. For others, it may be in the way that we interact with our friends. Uh, as a suggestion, if growing in humility is something that we want to work on and want to identify, start by a quick and easy one, I think, well, not easy, but I think a, a quick one for sure is, is start by praying to God. Start by praying. And prayer is a, a constant reminder to us that we cannot do things in life 
without God. And like the women in our passage, it shows us that faith in God is truly the only thing that we can have uh, when we realize how desperate our position truly is. The earlier points we discussed is that we are desperate. And so again, the question is, do you come to God desperate like this woman does in Mark chapter 7? You know, one of the most reassuring things that we can take away from this account uh, of the woman and her faith when it comes to our own struggle for faith is it's hard, is this. Um, any, anyone can come to God. Anyone can come to God. You do not need to wait to sort out your life first before coming to God because he already understands and he knows your desperate situation better than any, anyone else ever will, including yourself. In fact, it is our own brokenness that invites us to come to God in the first place. Your neediness does not qualify you from being in the presence or does not disqualify you from being in the presence of God. Rather, it, it actually qualifies you to come boldly before him, embracing the salvation, the care that he provides that no one else can. Again, there's not a fraction of us that can impress God or earn his favor. We offer nothing to him. And that is exactly as he intends it to be. So again, do you come to God desperate? Um, As we kind of start to round this out and come to a close, you might be thinking that this is a lot to take in at once. Sure, I I understand that. And some of us might be tempted to think that the cost of following Jesus is just really steep. It's so steep and, and it's worrisome because if we expend ourselves so much in that way, Uh, There's maybe this fear that we won't be able to take care of ourselves. Like, what's going to happen to me if I if I kind of just go that far? Uh, I'd like to remind us that there's a whole section of this passage that we haven't really talked about yet. Uh, And to be honest, uh, we're going to kind of go through it pretty quickly, so I apologize. Um, But that's the account dealing with Jesus healing a deaf man. The account dealing with Jesus healing a deaf man. And in this account, Jesus returns from the region of Tyre and Sidon. And we are told that a group of people bring to him a deaf man. Uh, Well, as you know, Jesus does, again, in fact, end up healing this man, which if we're reading this quickly, again, we are, uh, it might just seem like one of those many other miracles that are happening. Um, Move on to the next passage. Um, There's something I want us to look at here, though, and it's the reaction of the crowd, reaction of the crowd. So when Jesus heals the deaf man, He's really adamant that he does not want these people to go spreading word about him doing this miracle around the area. And we read about this multiple times in earlier passages in Mark, uh, as well as um, of Jesus wanting to remain kind of undercover till his, till his time has come. So he charges the people to tell no one is what it says. Don't tell anyone. And what do those people go out and do? They like zealously proclaim the fact that Jesus did the miracle. They do the exact opposite of what Jesus is telling them to do right? Like Jesus tells them, don't do that thing. And they just, they go ahead and do it. Now, since Jesus is God, did he know before he performed his miracle, how the people would react? Yeah, he did. He's God. And yet he still does the miracle. He still does the miracle. He still heals the man, despite knowing that the people who are watching are totally going to do the exact thing that he commands them not to do right after that. He still takes care of the deaf man. And in some ways, he takes care of the people as well by showing them a taste of God's power to see with their own eyes as they are begging him to perform a miracle. 
Uh, there's a lot of things that we could say about this, but one thing I think that I'd like to mention is this is just a great picture, I think, of how Jesus is, who he is. Despite knowing the failures of people who follow him, he still moves towards them. And despite the undeservedness of even this deaf man because of his own sinfulness, Jesus still heals this guy. In some ways, this highlights that the God we are called to surrender our entire lives to very much cares about us. And this is the Jesus who we can truly offer nothing to, right? We offer nothing to Jesus. Yet he still grants us the opportunity to be with him for all eternity should we repent and entrust our lives to him. As the people in this passage say, he truly does all things well. It's a great observation. He truly does all things well. Jesus does, in fact, do all things well. And as much as our sinfulness and inability to save ourselves is highlighted, so much more should we look at instances like this in Mark 7 and remind ourselves that Jesus is that much greater. He does not abandon us. Rather, he guarantees spiritual life to those who trust in him. This helps silence fears we may have about the difficulties and struggles that do come with following him. Again, though we are guaranteed to fail time and time again, because we are sinful, God still will not abandon us. We can rest in his promises knowing that he fully understands us and sees who we are even better than we see ourselves. And yet he still chooses to love us. He knows our frailty and yet he still chooses to love us. Through this all, what an amazing and reassuring truth to know and live by that this is the savior that we are called to entrust our lives to. My hope and prayer that we would all come to that conclusion that he is indeed Lord and Savior over it all. Uh, with that, let's all pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for, um, again, just what a unique season this has been. And God, I, I pray that as we um, consider our own lives, God, I pray that you would help us to see our desperation before you, God, how we bring nothing to you, God, in our own sinfulness. And yet, God, you invite us to come to you in that way. I pray that you would help us to be humble. God, it is so tempting for us to be prideful in our accomplishments, God, and the things that you have bestowed to us and allowed us to steward in this life to claim for ourselves. God, I pray that you would help us to be humble, God, to look at the cross, to look at our sinfulness, and to see again that we need you, God. And so I pray that you would help each of us to come to that conclusion, God, in whatever way, shape, or form that may look today, this week, God, um, help us to be desperate and come before you humbly. God, be with us as we break into small groups as well. I pray for that time. Help us to be honest. Help us to be um, to enjoy the fellowship that we have with each other. Uh, God, I pray that just again, even this small group time would just be another reminder, God, of how you are faithful to us, God, during this unique season. God, thank you again so much. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.